0: Welcome to Maternal Health Innovation, a podcast for the Maternal Health Learning and Innovation Center at UNC Chapel Hill, where we connect culture, measures, and best practices in maternal health. The purpose of these conversations is to authentically explore what's working well and think together about ways to strengthen care for birthing parents, families, and those seeking to serve them. At the MHLIC, We're thrilled for the opportunity to speak with experts on ways we can better serve birthing people and advance maternal health equity. I'm Andrea Serrano, Program Director at Reaching Our Sisters Everywhere. At Rose, we work to address breastfeeding disparities for communities of color while providing resources and networking opportunities for individuals and communities. I have the utmost privilege opportunity to speak to some phenomenal experts from the Appalachian Breastfeeding Network. And so today I am talking with Stephanie Hutchinson, founder and president of the Appalachian Breastfeeding Network, Kate Tuttle, membership chair of ABN, and Gina Spears, ABN secretary and librarian. We'll be discussing access to care in rural communities and how one Appalachia community used a hotline to address transportation gaps, access to care, and support during the pandemic. So thank you again, ladies, for joining us today. I'm so excited to be able to speak with you. This is our opportunity to kind of connect and share what magnificent work you all are doing with a broader audience. And so with this, I'll lead in with my first question. And any of you may choose to answer, and that is what is the Appalachian Breastfeeding Network for those that may not know the greatness?
1: <laughs> Thank you for having us. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Uh, we didn't really start out that way, we started out as a cultural coalition. Just basically, we wanted some information and some education that was Appalachian specific. And, you know, at the time, you know, Gina and I were actually in a room together and we were just kind of talking about this after a conference that we went to and we just, you know, went to Google and we're like, there has to be something, you know, Appalachian and breastfeeding. And that's what I did. I went to Google, I typed in Appalachia and I typed in breastfeeding and nothing came up, absolutely nothing. And so we're like, well, if it, (laughs) if it doesn't exist, we're going to make it. And uh, so that's what we do. We focus on increasing access to care um, and lactation services in Appalachia. Uh, It started out in our Appalachian Ohio and it grew to all 13 states. So we're just like super excited to continue to grow, continue to offer that um, access to care.
0: Beautiful. So I wanna make sure the audience is able to know what the full mission is what is the mission statement that you have for our Appalachian Breastfeeding Network?
1: Uh, so our mission is to work towards transformation of breastfeeding culture in Appalachia by providing empowerment and education to increase access to care.
0: And so diving into our next question here, what kind of gaps did you see in access to care and support in Appalachia? Um,
2: I would say there's definitely a stigma attached to the word breastfeeding. People hear it and they think hillbillies and rednecks, but we're not. We want the same care that people it, who are not living in Appalachia receive. But it seems that we do have trust of those outsiders who would come in and give us that up-to-date care. So The growth in Appalachia tends to be a little behind. And so I would definitely say the biggest thing, um, Stephanie was the first breastfeeding peer helper in our county. And so up until she started, there wasn't anything. So that lactation care, when I started at WIC and then eventually moved to the hospital where I work now, I mean, even now, I've been here three years. People are still like, oh, we have a lactation consultant. I didn't know we had that. That's so cool. Go ahead, Kate. Yeah. No,
3: you're fine. I just think that for people in the Appalachian region, um, poverty is a huge battle. (laughs) I have, I work at a local WIC and I have moms that um, say, I can't make it to my appointment this week. I don't have the gas money or I don't have anyone that can take me. Um, I also have moms that have a baby on Thursday, go back to work on Monday because they're the only source of income in that home. And they literally cannot afford to to not be at work. So I think a lot of people kind of deal with that poverty. And I I think that it really inhibits, you know, getting to their doctor's appointments, getting to their WIC appointments, getting to the resources that they need to get to, to get the help that they
1: need.
0: Absolutely. And both you all have mentioned Appalachia region. So not everyone is aware of how broad the region expands. Uh, could you provide just a little insight on that?
2: Um, it actually spans across 13 states. Uh, West Virginia, though, is the only one that is completely in the Appalachian region. Stephanie, Kate and I just happen to be in the little piece of Ohio that is considered Appalachian, and we luckily enough know Stephanie, who has big dreams for our area. So <laughs> we're just along for the ride. Um, but, yeah, it's it's actually very, it's huge. Stephanie probably knows the exact mileage or counties. Um, I did at one point. And I,
1: I definitely was- do not know the mileage. <laughs> <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> I do know that it spans from New York down to Mississippi. So, and like Gina said, West Virginia is the only state that is entire state, but where we are in Ohio, it's actually 38%
0: of the state. So I do know the percentage, but I do not know the mileage. (laughs) (laughs) The information is great, um, just because not many know the full um, region. And so I think it's really good to kind of give that visual um, when thinking about it. And so you mentioned transportation being a barrier, you mentioned, you know, having access to providers in um, the full region being a barrier prior to the pandemic, like this is, these are barriers that have existed. So After COVID-19 hit and, you know, the pandemic, how has it impacted the needs of the community? How has it exacerbated it?
1: Yeah, so what's really interesting about this is that we got our current grant funding for our breastfeeding hotline in March of 2020. So like exactly when everything was going down, that's when we, we had our hotline really fully funded. And it started out, we would get questions about relactating due to, you know, formula shortages and stuff like that. And then after the, you know, some time went on a little bit, we had some questions about, you know, can I breastfeed while I am COVID positive? And then it went on to, you know, what is the, you know, vaccine Um, effectiveness or safety for somebody that's lactating. So it's kind of like fully come full circle with our hotline. But even outside of our hotline, we know that WIC pretty much is the number one source of lactation support in Appalachia, especially um, in Ohio. We have to have you know, WIC staff in each county. And not every county has an IBCLC, not every county even has a birthing hospital. And so WIC might be the only source of lactation support for them. But with COVID, they're not seeing them in person. And so what I like to call pink flags, real bummer. I, Yeah, I don't really like to call things like red flags, because we don't really know for sure. But I like to call them pink flags. And so those pink flags might be getting missed because they're not coming in for weight checks. They're not seeing in person. We don't know if they need lactation support. So, you know, we have seen a huge increase as well in an already isolating, you know, area that we're seeing a huge increase in like PMADS. And um, so thankfully with our hotline, we do have a mental health specialist um, that gets lots of calls as well. In fact, we had, you know, a call recently that went on for almost two hours with a parent. So we know that it's desperately needed. And COVID is a big, you know, factor in that too.
0: Appreciate the insight. And so for those that may not know, PMATS is?
1: Um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders.
0: Thank you. I always like to make sure, you know, because uh, I, in my head, I thought the same thing, but, you know, be on the safe side, always good to ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> And so, but speaking on that, and I know the telehealth overall was really expanded as a means of seeking care, you know, just throughout the nation, that was a big call. And so how did that kind of call to action around telehealth um, impact communities right because I remember in previous opportunities to connect with you all which is the awesome part about having a relationship is we talk about broadband being a issue and concern for you know um, the Appalachia region so how did this kind of fold in through 2020 and on?
2: One thing I will say that I've noticed is that people have to make sure that it's a good time. Uh, When they say they want a video call, I call them so we can schedule it to make sure that they're going to have someone to help them um, and reliable internet. And sometimes that's not always available. I've had people find me on social media who they have no minutes on their phone, so they can't call the hotline because back kind of back to poverty. They, they don't have a well enough job to pay um, along with all the other bills that they're kind of having to go with. I mean, even I am the IBCLC on call, but every day the hotline staff knows that when I, when I'm driving home, that there's a gap of like 10, 15 Mm -hmm. minutes that I have no internet at all from my workplace to my home because of where I live. Um, there's huge areas of terrible coverage. And even before we got our good internet, thankfully we had, we had to go outside and stand on top of the Hill to get a, to get a cell service, um, even a bar of it. So this area is just, we've got all kinds of, uh, all kinds of problems that we're trying to mm-hmm. help. just not everybody has
3: access to, to even decent internet. Like we just switched yesterday and it's still iffy. Like it's not, it's better than it was. Right. Um, but now we can watch, we can stream something and my son can play his Nintendo switch and it, the house isn't going to like fall apart. So, I mean, and we're not even in like a very rural rural or secluded area too. So like, I can't even imagine, you know, further out. It's, I know that it's a struggle because we were struggling. Right.
1: And we're not. And yeah, I use Zoom to teach, and the other instructors always think it's hilarious that if somebody uses my microwave, it'll take my internet down. Like literally, just (laughs) using my microwave (laughs) will kick me off Zoom. So we still—I mean, we are still even dealing with it. So those that don't even have access to paying for the—you know—the highest package, like we are doing, we know that there's a struggle. One thing that I really am happy that we do on the hotline is that our motto is listen, support, and refer. Mm -hmm. So every single person that calls in gets a referral. We don't expect them to stop at us or wait for them to call us back. We are connecting them, collaborating with them, and making sure that they get the care that they deserve and the care that they need. Because most times, they just don't know that it's there or they don't know where to go for it.
0: Absolutely, an absolutely wonderful example of what it means to overcome barriers, even if it's the infrastructure barriers, right? So expanding more about the hotlines. I know you said it was recently fully funded March 2020, but it's been around prior to. So give us a little bit of information on what led to the creation of the hotline.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, in 2017, Ohio Department of Health, they actually were doing some research and some surveys Looking at breastfeeding statistics in our region in Ohio. And like I said, it's 38% of the state. So, I mean, this is a, a huge region of our state. And our statistics are just much, much lower than the rest of the state. And so they actually approached me to see if we would like to do a pilot program. It was a three month program just to kind of get this hotline up and running, but it was an after hours program. So it was not only about our region, but it was also about, you know, those calls at 3 a.m., you know, when there's nobody in the office. So it was kind of like trying to bridge two different gaps. One, you know, like our infrastructure, (laughs) and two, the fact that nobody's in the office, you know, in the middle of the night when people actually need help, you know. So we started with that three-month program. We had a little gap in funding after that, and the data was so good from that three-month program that they're like, okay, let's do another one. Let's do a six-month one. Um, we had a huge gap in funding after that. It was like they knew that they wanted to do it, but they didn't know where they were going to get the money. They didn't know how it was going to go, You know how you know, grant funding kind of works. But we kept it up and running voluntarily because we saw the need. We knew that people were calling us. We wanted to continue that. And then in 2019, there was a terrible hurricane season. And we opened it up 24 hours at that time because we saw the need. And at that point in time, when we saw that WIC offices were calling us, physicians' offices were calling us, parents were calling us, we kept it open 24 hours. And because of that data, we were able to apply for the grant that we have now, which is the Ohio statewide 24 hour breastfeeding hotline. So we were open 24 hours seven days a week, 365 a year. It's really funny because I was looking at the data um, yesterday, actually. And from September, 2017, which is when we started to February, 2019, we had about 800 calls. And in September of this year, we had 767
0: calls. Right. And I know me and Stephanie, we are here on the data because I love data and numbers. I'm like, show me the graphs. I get all itchy and happy um, for graphs. So I definitely understand what joy it means to so kind of like pull all the information and just like watch the charts, you know, yeah, in right. and to see that comparison. That is beautiful. Um, I almost don't even want to ask this next question because I feel like you've answered it already, but I'm still going to give the opportunity for you to maybe share if there was something else that um, speaks to it, which is what major successes have you seen?
2: Just the increase of lactation care availability, whether it's a, in their mind, a simple question of, you know, cannot, do I have to pump and dump after this medication? Or if it's a really complex problem where they need referrals, you know, maybe one or even more than that, and we're able to help connect them to the right people because they don't know who to ask. And even sometimes just being an ear for them to listen to when they're having when they need to vent about breastfeeding because they don't know anybody else who breastfed because they're the first person in their family because, you know, oh, people don't do that. You know, people just give a bottle and that's not how we do it. So just being an ear for them to
0: just talk to. Beautiful. So what I hear in that major success is, you know, helping families meet their breastfeeding goal, whatever that might look like and addressing their needs. And that is a huge major success because that's the reason why the line was created in the first place, right? Yes.
1: Right. And one thing that I'd like to touch on too is that like Gina said, when, you know, in 2010, when I was working at WIC, I was the only breastfeeding lactation, anything in this area. And because of this hotline, because of this grant money, we were allowed to send people to the Certified Lactation Specialist course And we have now over, I I think over 40 people that are certified in Appalachian, Ohio. So to go from, you know, a handful of people that I knew in all of the 38% to over 40 people, and most of them are so passionate about, you know, helping families that they have stuck with us through those, you know, funding gaps and, you know, continue to just love what they do. And, you know, I, I just love seeing the passion grow in other people, you know, when it was like me, I was a little lone writer. <laughs> and now I, you know, I have like these best friends, right. That um, we, we are so connected in such another way.
0: Yeah. It's the whole breastfeeding caravan. That's what it is now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Definitely have to thank Stephanie for that because I didn't know
2: anybody and she was my, she was my go-to. So I. Being in the right place at the right
1: time for me, for real.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I feel the same way for me. You know, I, I, I walked into the right Wick office and I met the right person and,
0: now look at me. Doing phenomenal things. Exactly. Yes, we are. Exactly. One candlelight lighting the others. So I know you had mentioned that folks from doctors, offices, hospitals, um, just all over have utilized the hotline. So how about people outside of the Appalachian area, about how frequently do you find that others take advantage of the hotline?
1: Yeah, actually every day because we are, you know, more than just the Appalachian hotline now, we get calls from all over. What is unique about our hotline is that everybody that works for it is in Ohio, but they are from all over Ohio. Um, We have a very diverse group as well. And I mean, we've had calls from Italy. We've had calls from Japan. Um, we have a directory of other lactation supporters all over. We have people in Egypt that have put their you know their name on there. so it's every day we're talking to people outside of Appalachia as well.
0: And so how do you think birthing people would have suffered without the hotline? Like how would it have impacted them if it wasn't a resource?
2: I think looking in the wrong place for the correct information, I've had a number of instances where I will talk to someone and, you know, they've been told to pump and dump because they took this medication or they had mastitis and were on an antibiotic and their doctor said to pump and dump because that's what the product insert says, or the pharmacist said. And so me working at a hospital, as well as the hotline, I'm able to, let them know. If you can't get a hold of me, you can call this number, and they and they can look it up for you. They can let you know that it's okay for your patients. Just knowing that there's another place to go, and then I'd say with COVID, people are afraid to go places. I remember walking into urgent care the like the first day that we everything was kind of shut down around here, and it was a ghost town, and I've never seen it like that. So it was kind of eerie. Um, so I think having a place where they can just make a phone call and they feel like they're getting the right information and knowing that they have the ability to do a video call with someone who knows what they're talking about uh, just makes them feel safer and better with with their decisions.
1: And I'm really glad that we have a mental health specialist too that's on call 24 hours because especially right now where that might be the only, you know, means of having some sort of support, you know, anytime that somebody calls in and something just kind of seems off, you know, one of our operators, somebody called in and asked about an energy drink and our operator was like, okay, I'm hearing that you're tired. Do you want to talk more about that? And so she called in asking about, you know, if an energy drink is safe to breastfeed with, But she ended up leaving with a mental health referral and that mental health specialist talked to her and, you know, got her a referral in person when we may not have caught that any other way, you know, she may not have received any other support for postpartum depression. And I think that's what she was dealing with. So instances like that, that we know would have fallen through the cracks just because, you know, especially with COVID, we're not going anywhere, you know, we're not seeing anybody in person. And that was that was a really good catch by by one of our operators. And I'm so glad that, you know, we've gone through trainings like that to be able to catch those things, too.
0: Absolutely. Um, Understand, because referrals definitely have been one of those things that's been a challenge, especially, you know, before the pandemic. But of course, during it, even more so where you know, those connections are folks being able to catch, you know, a need that a family is expressing to be able to direct them to additional resources, having issues, unless that family has specifically said, I need this, this, and this, you know, that's when the referral might come, but to be able to have a connection where they might be coming in for one thing, but someone being able to adequately listen and really hear a person um, and be able to bridge those connections is so vital. And of course, um, addressing misinformation is so important. Um, I'm sure we've all been in comments on posts and we're just like, what is going on here? (laughs) This is not the advice. (laughs) So having a really credible resource is so vital. And I'm so glad that what you all have created Expands, you know, beyond, you know, the borders in a sense, right? Um, I know I've definitely have given out the number as a resource line as well. And so, with this, uh, what would you consider to be the most um, rewarding call you have ever answered?
3: So I do all of the follow up calls. So everyone that calls in, there's a form and it's pretty a pretty detailed kind of intake form. And sometimes when I'm reading the the forms before I call the person, I'm like, man, this person is in tears. this person was upset. this person is exhausted. Um, and once you call when I call back the next day, um, you know just to hear that they're just a completely different person than when they began that call the night before is amazing. I mean, and especially when and a lot of them will just even tell you, I just needed to vent and I'm glad that someone was there to listen to me. And um, you know so and so was very helpful. I'm so glad I got to talk to her knowing that there's that huge difference and like what I'm seeing happened on paper to them saying, I'm good, I'm good. And I feel okay. It's just like, that's my favorite thing about the job for sure.
2: (laughs) I am the IBCLC on call. So I get the referrals when it goes beyond the on-call staff's scope of practice. Um, So some days will be nothing. And some days I'll get, you know, a handful of them. And I definitely, when I call that caller back and just hearing, honestly, the relief in their voice that they're like, okay, thank you for the information. This is great. I'm so, you know, so many people have said at the end of the call that I'm so glad that this hotline is a thing. My doctor wasn't much help or the pharmacist wasn't any help at all. And so just thank you for being there. And that honestly, I I love what I do because I love helping moms and baby or you know, lactating people and their babies. That was why I got into it. And that was uh so when they feel helped. I feel just like a warm little happy spot. You know, I feel like the Grinch whose heart grew 10 sizes. <laughs> you know, but that's how I feel at the end of good calls.
3: I agree for
2: sure.
1: And I'm thinking of one specific instance when the person from Italy called and, you know, we have a like Facebook messenger group with all of the operators. And so when there's something that, you know, they have a request for. They'll go to that group and say, "Okay, this person needs a lactation consultant in Italy. What do I do?" And I'm like, "Oh, I have like three on my on my Facebook. Let me get their information for you and send that on to you, onto them." And I like listen. I listen to all of the calls, so I'm the person on the back end that gets to hear everything, right? So I went back and I listened to that one, and that person was like shocked, absolutely shocked, that they called somebody that. Is in Appalachian, Ohio, and got a referral to an Italian lactation consultant, you know. But thankfully, that's, I feel like that's how our entire field works. We're so connected, we network, we, you know, we get to know each other. And thankfully, through these conferences and stuff that we've been able to go to, I knew a a few and got that person connected to somebody all the way in Italy. So, that one, I that one always gives me like chill bumps when I think about it.
0: Yes, that the demonstration of relationships here, how much of a difference they make. I mean, that's why it's called the Appalachian Breastfeeding Network. You know, it's an actual network of uh, individuals and power uh, movers and shakers, as I would like to see you all as. And so, you know, one of the things that I would like to ask is. Maybe share some of the other work you all do because the hotline is a key um, program you all do. But you also, I've also participated in a few of your other great initiative endeavors, and I think it would be good to just give a brief overview of some of those other items.
1: So, we do monthly webinars that are free for our members, they have um, continuing education attached to them. So, we do all kinds of different topics just really, we go with the flow with what people are requesting. And, you know, if they want something on suicide awareness, like last month was suicide awareness month, we had a webinar on that. So we try to kind of just like go with what everybody is requesting. Um, We do an annual conference, but with COVID, we've actually put that on hold. Some people have, you know, kind of turned their conferences into online conferences, but like you mentioned, we have a huge gap with internet issues. And so it was something like 60% would not have been able to attend if we, you know, 60% of our membership, we had done that online. So we have held off on that um. Hopefully in October of 2022, <laughs> we will be back in person. I hope so. But we usually have, you know, a pretty in-depth conference. This next year, we have decided that it will be a three-day conference because we are making up for those years <laughs> that we were not able to do that. So we do a hospital education initiative. Uh, we've been working on this for a long time where um, it's kind of, you know, changed and shifted along the way. And so we are in the process of applying for continuing education for that. Um, But what the idea of that is kind of like education for hospitals and nurses that is Appalachian specific. Because one thing that we've realized is that our nurses are usually Appalachian, but our doctors are usually non-Appalachian. And so there's like this clash between cultures when we are trying to, you know, move Uh, you know, lactation support forward. And so another thing that we have done in the past just kind of um, not up and running right now is a hospital adoption program where an urban non Appalachian hospital will adopt an Appalachian rural hospital and help them move towards baby friendly hospital initiative practices. Some other things that we do, we've been um, in contact with like Ohio Department of Health, um, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, to do some research. Uh, We've finished two different research projects. That's another thing that is lacking in Appalachia. We don't have any statistics to back up what we're saying, (laughs) you know, so that's what we're working on, too. And I'm also in the process of writing a book uh, with another Appalachian person out of Georgia. So uh, hopefully that will be moving forward, um, and published sometime soon. (laughs) Anything else
2: that you can think of? Just the empower parent project. It actually started off as empowering moms. And then we were like, wait, that's not, you know, inclusive enough because not everybody who is a parent is a mother. So we've recently rebranded that to the empower parent project. I think that's the new name Yes. Empowering, parent um, project. empowering yeah. parents. And it's really just the social media where we just share things about lactation, just empowering the hotline, uh, just to kind of put a positive message out there and just be a little bit of good on social media when there's so much
0: bad. Well, you all have provided a role. amount of information. And um, I think it gave a nice, on top of the iceberg view of the phenomenal work that you all are doing. And I hope anyone listening to this uh, takes the opportunity to dive a little deeper and connect because these ladies and the work that they do um, within the Appalachian region is phenomenal. Is there any last words you want to give the audience
1: just that we are you know we love collaborating with people we love learning more I think that's something that I pride myself on as well as that I'm never done learning and so we're never done learning and we love collaborating with other people and you know making sure that this is a full spectrum network and not just you know (laughs) us white Appalachian ladies you know we want to make sure that we're you know collaborating with everybody and that we aren't rednecks or hillbillies we are intelligent human beings that really have voices that need to be heard I'd also like to add that if you're listening we would
2: love to have your information in our database you can add that on our
0: website Well, with that, I want to thank you all so much for coming on the show. Stephanie, Kate, and Gina, it was wonderful connecting with you all. And thank you for listening, everyone. For more podcasts, videos, blogs, and maternal health content, visit the Maternal Health Learning and Innovation Center website at maternalhealthlearning.org. I'm Andrea Serrano, and we'll talk with you soon on Maternal Health Innovation.
1: project is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration HRSA of the US Department of Health and Human Services HHS under grant number U7CMC33636 State Maternal Health Innovation Support and Implementation Program Cooperative Agreement This information or content and conclusions are those of the author and should not be construed as the official position or policy of nor should any endorsements be inferred by HRSA
2: HHS, or the U.S. government.